welcome to the Destiny Podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Right, what I, what I normally do at this stage is get you to give me a list of what you think about healing, what the church thinks about healing, what you've been told about healing, what you believe about healing, what the Bible says about healing, what, whatever you think about healing. And uh, you can start anywhere you want. I normally have a list of the whole thing, so get thinking and tell me about healing. What do you know about healing? church it was normal to talk about it yeah but it was not often happening okay good so that's one opinion isn't it uh, it happens can happen maybe yeah. uh, but what we don't often see it Okay. Um, this can include the things that people tell us about why we don't get healed as well. So the church says a lot of things as to why we don't get healed. And um, other other opinions of healing. There's, you know, you might not believe it, but you've heard that there's other types of opinions on healing. There are a lot of people uh, like, or not really a lot. Um, there are a few people who, yeah, just experience it nearly every day. Oh, okay, good. Uh, some experience. Not for all the time. Well, I've never had that on the list. And I'm really glad it's on the list, because it must mean things are moving. <laughs> yeah, good. Emma, anything? You often or always want it to happen, right when we pray for it. Um, okay, what? What, what's the point you're making? You correct, but are you saying we shouldn't do that, or that's the that's what we understand by healing it should be instant? If it's not instant, okay, yeah, get told that it's made might happen someday. Then I'm going to put uh, if not instant, then it leads to problems. It leads to problems, or it leads to theology. So I, I think this is a really important point because I, my personal belief is a lot of the reason why we don't see the healing that we see is because of this theology that we create because of this. And um, what kind of theology have you heard about for if you didn't instantly get healed? 
typical thing is that you believe is not big enough. Yeah, not enough faith. Very common. What do you think about that? That is a test question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, unbelief. Um, I mean, it's, it's a hard topic. I think it's yeah. often you, you can't really say it if it's that point or not. Yeah, but it's a very common thing, isn't it? I have yeah. Either I haven't got enough faith, we didn't have enough faith, or or in some way, um, faith is not working, I'm going to put, because a lot of people say, well, I have faith, they've got, they have faith, but they didn't get healed. Uh, so faith didn't work, I'm going to put. Um, because a lot of people come and say, but this person, you know, they really love God, and they've really pray a lot and they really do a lot and they've really got faith but they still didn't get healed and um, that's a very common kind of thing anything else? I think it's often that they say uh, maybe God wants to give him uh, a sign in any other place God what? I thought it was very good, what did you say? (laughs) Yeah, God wants to happen it in another time God's timing Yeah. yeah, okay yeah, that's very common. Yeah. Okay. And what you wanted to hear was maybe God uh, <laughs> challenging them or testing them. Yeah. Good. God. Well done. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what we're going to say, God testing their faith or challenging them or God intended the uh, sickness. Yeah, good word, intended. There's a a kind of... um, (laughs) There's a scripture or a term that we use. I'm not sure how you use it in German, but... (laughs) just ask him what's intended in German and he said I don't know (laughs) (laughs) it's a good word in English it's a very accurate English word for this sentence I like it because a lot of people say he caused sickness but intended mean it was what he wanted to happen his intention yeah it's a nice word what um do you know what we call it in English? Do you remember Paul talked about something that he had? And it's the, it's the part of the Bible that it, he says, I ask God, I pray to God that he would take this away from me. And grace, God says, yeah. my grace is sufficient for you. Do you know what, what we call that in English? What was he talking about? What is it in German, do you know? What's the translation? We don't really know the word, but it's yeah, just one thing that God didn't take away. Okay. <laughs> uh, we call it a thorn. The, the translation in English is a thorn in the flesh. Yeah, okay. Right. Yeah, so Germany, th- like uh, the plant that yeah, has the thing. Like a thorn in the side. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so Paul had a thorn in the flesh. 
and a lot of people will talk about sickness and say that their sickness is well it's the same as Paul Paul had a thorn in the flesh and God said to Paul you know my grace is sufficient for you so some people would classify their sickness as a thorn in the flesh problem is if you believe your sickness is a thorn in the flesh it's very hard to get healed that's the problem um, anything else? Why else don't people get healed? We've taught you too much grace now for you to, to give the answers, but you can. I'm not talking <laughs> about you and your belief, I'm talking about in general in the church. They're not saved. Yep, good point. Yep, not, not for unbelievers. God only heals for another reason. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's quite a common one that that it kind of says, well, Jesus healed in the New Testament in the Gospels because he had to make a sign and a wonder to attract people to himself. So he wasn't actually really bothered about healing. He was more bothered about creating a you know, a crowd or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's yeah. What about this one? God doesn't heal today. Heard that one? So lots of churches would say that God just doesn't heal today. That that finished, you know, the same thing with speaking in tongues, speaking in tongues finished once the Bible was complete, same with all the manifestation of the spirit and all the power and miracles of God finished with the apostles that's what that's one of the teachings that I guess in our charismatic evangelical circles we don't hear that but a big part of the church does still believe that what else Why else might not somebody not get healed? Maybe because we're not praying the right prayer. Yep. Not praying right or not praying right didn't do enough, whatever that means, yeah. What about the guy who smoked 60 cigarettes a day and got lung cancer? What if he didn't get healed? He caused the problem, so... Self-inflicted. Sickness. Okay, 
what, what, what else? A big one we've not mentioned. A big one why people can't get healed. Kind of, kind of the same idea. A big three-letter word. <laughs> what smoking sixty cigarettes a day? Sin. Sin. Very common, you know, well, very common. And there's a big theological kind of argument that says, you know, well, we can get healed, and we can get healed because of this and because of that and because of that, and we're made holy, but then if you sin, you're no longer holy, so you can't get sickness, and uh, you can't get healing. And, and there's loads of Christian ministries at the moment around who will try and look for the sin as the reason for why you're not getting getting healed. Now, there is an association of sin and sickness, definitely, without a doubt, but you can get healed and still sin. And you do not get healed when you've sorted out all of your own sin. That doesn't result in healing because it's that's not how sin is dealt with. Sin. Okay. Um, I thought of another one then when I was talking. Um, Soon, 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 soon. Oh yes, what is the other thing? We have I don't know if I've talked to you about it, but there's another concept in the Bible about sin, but it's not your sin, what's it called? Have you ever heard of this where there's a certain healing ministry where you look into your past? Yeah. Do you know what we call that? No, but it's the sin of your yeah. parents. Your yeah. We call it it's generational sin. That's not quite, I mean, we just need to address that. But gener- So it's down the generation. So you're sick because something your granddad did, and you can only get healed if somehow what your granddad did is made better, even though your granddad probably isn't even alive anymore, or, or whoever it was. That's a really common healing theology. Yeah, but I think there's also reality behind it. I think there's a reality behind it as okay. well. Okay. It just sounded like you say, oh no. But I don't agree with the reality. <laughs> There's a scripture verse behind it. There's a scripture verse behind it. What I would say, and we will talk about it, I'm just trying to get all the things so we know at the end of the time we've covered them. It's a really big teaching. There's this whole ministry in the UK called El Al, very international ministry now, really big on it. I think all the kind of Derek Prince curses and blessing kind of teaching is is all, you know, ha- has a lot of issues about that Um, and I think it depends on how you deal with it and again I will talk about about it again but if you deal with it in an Old Testament way by believing that's true and it applies to us then it is a problem if you believe it isn't a problem because it doesn't apply to us anymore it isn't a problem anymore so it depends on what you believe about it but the thing is uh, it's, it's really interesting I mean being in Malaysia we had a lot of this and they really believed it and of course a lot of first generation believers coming out of idolatry and Buddhism and whatever it's really a big deal you know their their dads and whatever did go in the temples and did you know have you know they have these have you seen them in the Chinese houses they have the altars in the house so they have an altar and they worship in the house to their ancestors and stuff so it it really was a big a big kind of issue Um, but we will talk about that again because I think it's as big an issue as you make it. Um, and if you make it a big issue, you're probably never going to get set free. 
Um, what else can happen? Some experience hearing all, all the time. If not instant, then yeah. Not enough faith. Faith didn't work. God's timing. God's testing faith. Yeah. Anything else? This list can go on, but that's probably enough. You see, I think my I think that as as a church, as in the wider church body, we have been given a mandate to heal the sick. And I actually believe that how it really should be is if you get sick, you should go to the church. The non-believers and the believers. I think that is God's plan for our healing. And I know we're a long, long way away from that plan, but I think that's what God intended. God intended for the church to hold healing for the nations. And um, I don't know if Irving will teach about it, but he talks about, there's this scripture in Revelation that talks about the the um, trees by the river and the leaves of the trees being for the healing of the nations and there's you know that evidence of the trees by the river is us is the church and um, I think we, we've really gone a long 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 way away from um, what the original intention of, of God was um, keep remembering that other one it keeps you know when it comes and then as soon as you um, so my personal belief is our theology as a church is, doesn't help us to see healing and some of that is just purely wrong teaching and some of it is because we have a problem with healing and because we don't see healing we then create a story about God to justify why we don't see healing and I, I would have been very much in, the, in that camp. So I would have said years ago, yeah, I believe God can heal, can. His will, um, if he wants to. Probably doesn't want to because we don't see it very often. And if you are going to get healed, probably it's because you have exceptional faith or you're in Africa and you don't have any health care because those are the only people who ever seem to get healed. So it becomes a kind of idea that healing is kind of not really appropriate for us because anyway, we've got a good healthcare system and um, that's as good as anything and we really probably don't need healing and God will only step in if it's for his glory for another reason or if we've got to the end of the road. So if it's terminal, the doctor says it's terminal, there's nothing else you can do, then finally we will go to God and say, okay, God, I need healing. So um, one of the things then is, I believe if you don't have your theology, what your, your belief system correct, the outworking of that is always going to be something other than healing. So if I would say if you believe any of these... Uh, except possibly this one, depending on what this means, um, then um, you are less likely to see healing. I I know as well as, you know, I understand the fact that you have somebody, you pray for them, if they're close to you, you keep on praying for them. If it's somebody that you love or is in your family, you keep on praying for them more. And most of us have done that. And most of us have not seen that person healed. And at that point of not seeing that person healed, 
you have to deal with a lot of a lot of things. You have to deal with your own disappointment. You have to deal with your own life. What what went wrong? What's wrong with God? What's wrong with me? What's wrong with them? And and we have we have this process as human beings that we try and then start working it out. And I think we've said a number of times that sometimes the answer to the question is don't ask the question. And I think, unfortunately, we, we really want everything to be tight and in a box and say, well, okay, uh, he didn't get healed because not God's timing. Okay, and she didn't get healed because she's got a thorn in the flesh. And they didn't get healed because they didn't do it right. And he didn't get healed because, well, it's his own fault he got sick in the first place. So we develop this theology of sickness, really, that says, well, these are all the or all the reasons why God is not able to heal, not willing to heal, whatever it is. And I think, my personal belief is, all of these things do not help us see healing. And so, we have a choice. We either keep on believing what we believe, and if you keep on believing what you believe, then you will continue to see what you believe. So... If the way you think and the way you believe is resulting in everybody you pray for getting healed, fantastic, carry on. But if it's not, then let's have a think about what, you know, what are we believing? And I think the church does not believe about healing correctly, which is why I want to tell you what I think the correct belief of healing is. I'm not saying that when you believe what I believe instantly everybody will get healed but what I am saying is I, I believe you're more likely to than if you believe all of this because the thing that the issues we have with God is and and this was the big shift for me is it used to feel to me like God was there and I was here and okay I believe God healed um, but we prayed for God we prayed for healing and God didn't heal and therefore I've got this problem with God so basically, my, my problem would be, well, God didn't heal. So whose fault is it? God's fault, right? Not my fault, God's fault. God didn't heal. So then we have to deal with this difficulty of, well, we've got this loving God who really loves us. He can do everything. He can create the world. He can, you know, he said all these things in the Bible about healing. And then somehow he isn't healing. And what is that doing to my relationship with him? Well, it's causing me disappointment, confusion, uh, separation, because I don't understand why God says one thing and doesn't do it. And that's how I used to live my life. And, and I came to a point of like, okay, God, you're fine there with healing. I'm fine here with healing. Let's not, you know, if you want to heal, fine, get on with it. I'll, you know, I don't mind praying for the sick, but basically I've got a bit of a issue here. My shift, I would say, over the last few years is I now stand here with God and my belief system about healing has completely changed. So my belief system in a just small amount is God has already decided that everybody can be healed. So the answer to everybody's sickness is yes, healing. And actually he's done everything that he is ever going to do in order for people to get healed. So when I see somebody who doesn't get healed, I don't change my theology. I don't start working out other reasons. I don't even ask that question. 
I just think, well, I don't know the answer to that, but I know who God is. I know what he said. I am convinced by the scripture of what I believe God has said about healing. And I'm not going to shift from that. Even if I never see anybody else healed in my life, I'm not going to change who God is. Because what happens otherwise is we stand here and we forever change our God. So then we declare, oh, God didn't heal me. God didn't do this. God didn't do that. And the whole church will... You hear it all the time, and I know people don't do it deliberately. They're not malicious. They're not against God. But many people listen to people who, you know, who speak about healing or speak about sickness, and and they will say, oh, well, I had faith, but God didn't heal me. Uh, Well, God, uh, it's not God's timing for my healing, and all of these things. We will talk about these again, because some of them have got importance, and some of them, you know, are not entirely right or entirely wrong Um, so what I really want to do is to convince you about what the Bible says about healing and um, I think it's really clear we talked about some verses a few weeks ago Jesus healed the sick when he started his ministry he got baptised spirit of God you know descended like a dove Um, he then ministered in power and he went into the temple and quoted Isaiah 61, which is, you know, the Lord has anointed me to preach the good news of the gospel, to open the eyes of the blind, set free the brokenhearted, etc., etc. Okay, I'm misquoting that, but that's in Luke 4, I think. And um, so Jesus said, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what he was saying, I am the fulfillment of this prophetic word, and and, and the purpose for which I have come is to set free those that are in bondage, to heal the brokenhearted, to, you know, bring eyes, sight to the blind. And um, just remember one other thing. Uh, I'll just write it down so we don't forget it. Uh, I'm, I'm writing down, Bible only refers to spiritual things. A lot of people talk will take what I'm saying and say yes, but that's not that doesn't apply to physical healing. It applies to spiritual healing. So what God did is about making us whole in ourselves, but not actually physical. But the thing is, when when Jesus healed the sick, he physically healed the sick. He didn't spiritually heal the sick. He physically healed the sick, and he said, "This is this is what is uh, what is being fulfilled at this time." So. How many people did Jesus heal? Not how many exactly, but who did Jesus heal? A lot of people. A lot of people? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is that what it says? I always put please keep, but then people throw this away. Can one of you take a photograph in case somebody throws it away? You got you. Just because I just want to make sure we've covered them. Yeah. So, can you remember anything that the Bible says about, that the Gospels say about Jesus' healing? What did you say? A lot. He healed multitudes, didn't he? Multitudes. 
Yep. What else does he say he healed? All. So it says all who came to him. Interesting, because we have no evidence that Jesus ever said to anybody, oh, sorry, not for now, not for you, not for anything. There's no evidence that he said that. I'm very sure that everybody in Israel did not get healed when Jesus was there. Okay, the world didn't instantly get healed because Jesus came to earth. And I think this is, this is the important thing. It's all who came to him. And some people can get to the point where they're just so passive about healing, then they just say, well, God wants to heal, he can heal. It's not my problem, it's not my responsibility. But actually, as his ambassadors... And according to how he set things in motion, Jesus did not heal everybody in Israel or in the world when he came. He healed those that came to him. And that that coming to him, I believe, is about faith. I, I believe that there is a there is an aspect of faith that isn't working up something, it's not trying to get something, it's but it's just he's the answer to my problem and I'm going. Um, and what did he heal? Headaches? I think every kind of... Yeah, all kind of sickness and disease. I'm not sure what the difference between the diseases. Probably death, but that's what the Bible says. Disease is probably chronic. I mean, sickness is just when you kind of get sick, isn't it? Disease is when you've got something wrong with you that affects your body all the time. I guess, I'm not really sure. So he healed all kinds of sickness and disease, yeah. Okay, do you know how he did it? No. There's lots of ways. Yeah, in different ways. Okay, come on. Mm. I mean, I like the part when he uh, made a... Spat in the ground. Yeah, yeah. do it in their <laughs> eyes. <laughs> you like it, but you rather hope... Holy Spirit never asked you to do it. <laughs> yeah. That must have been really gross. And obviously, I mean, he obviously did it in public because they'd seen him do it. So I think the answer to that is none of these are a are a none of these are a direct theology. Okay, these are. I think Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. I think for some reason, Father just said this. Whatever reason, I don't think we know. Why. Okay. How? Lay the hands. Anything else? Just spoke to them. Spoke. Yeah, very good. Cast out demons. He even spoke not to them, didn't he? You know, at a distance he spoke. Used authority. Etc. I mean, there's a number of things that he did, wasn't there? Um, so I think if you look at Jesus' life, Jesus healed the sick. There's evidence he healed everybody who came to him. Uh, he healed all kinds of sickness and disease. He did it in many different ways. Um, do you know what the Bible says about why he did it? 
What was his motivation for doing it? It says, Jesus saw the multitudes and was moved with... Sorry, it's English, but... To translate it into... What was... When Jesus saw all the sick, what was his response? Just wanted to heal them. <laughs> no, but what was his emotion? Why did he want to heal them? thinking, oh no, I've got a terrible job that the father's given me and uh, I've got to heal 200 today before I can go to bed. He wanted to help them. Yeah, okay, so his heart was he was moved with, do you know this word? Compassion. So it says many a time um, he was moved with is something that stirs you up, isn't it? And with passion. Compassion is caring for somebody. Uh, you feel, not, it's not really feeling sorry for them, but it's concerned about somebody. It's out of love. He did it out of love. So the Samar- Samaritan, it was also compassion. Mm. Okay. Mm. So, um, okay. I want to go through, oh, we don't have much more time now, but um, I just want to go through some of the Old Testament scriptures because I think healing is from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Healing is not a New Testament idea, and if you look at the Old Testament, it's why I, I find the whole thing about the Bible is really interesting because, you know, you can say, oh, well, the Bible's just a whole load of odd books that, you know, we can't take literally, and but actually... There's something about this set of books that is more than just the sum of the books. And, you know, you you get this whole set of books, each of which has some kind of prophetic thing. And each of the prophecies matches up and ties in and results in Jesus is coming. And so while what I'm going to teach you from the Old Testament is not... I'm not teaching it as New Testament theology, but what I'm saying is... This plan of healing was always on the heart of God. And one of the things that happened in the Old Testament, even though the law, I mean, the law was good, and the law was given by God because the people asked it. And there, there was something in the law that foretold of the, the reality of, of the, the true thing. So it was a likeness. Um, and in English, we call it a type. So a lot of the feasts and the festivals in the Old Testament, we say, is a type which means it's a foreshadowing. It's something that they were asked to do, which looked like the cross. It looked like God's ultimate plan. It looked like, but it wasn't the real thing. So it was a type, it was was foretelling, it was like a prophetic kind of, um, (coughs) a a prophetic statement about what, what is the real thing. And there's quite a lot of scriptures in the Old Testament that are 
prophetically proclaiming what is the real thing. What does the real thing look like? So um, these types are, um, that we're going to go through are all types of healing. And, and it makes you realise healing wasn't something that God thought of afterwards. Healing was something that God had always intended because basically he, his intention was, I think, for man never to live in sickness. Death came in through Adam and, and all really that sickness is, is is prolonged death. Before you have death, you don't really have sickness because sickness results in death. So I think in the early stages of, you know, however long Adam lived before he sinned, I, I think sickness was not a part of that because death had not come in until sin came in and what Jesus did is restored things back to restored back all things and um, therefore he restores us back to living in complete health and wholeness and um, there's this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 11 just in case you're getting um, a bit confused about the Bible Um, and I think it's really important to assess what you how you deal with the bible and i think there's lots and lots written in the bible that god has not said it's true but it's man that is saying it and man was wrong um so i I do think you have to understand how you read the bible but jesus quoted the old testament the whole time he knew it and he didn't come to earth and say look guys scrap the old testament it's you know irrelevant now he knew it and he quoted it all the time so you look at the number of times that Jesus quoted Old Testament, it's quite amazing. So um, this scripture in 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking about he's talking about uh, Moses, he's talking about the people going into the wilderness, he's talking about Old Testament events. And it says in verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition. Admonition is w- like warning for our understanding. So so Paul is saying, you know, you look at all of these accounts of what was happening to the Israelites throughout the Old Testament, and, and it was written for our benefit. So I think, I, I really do think you understand what the Bible is and what it was written for, but don't throw it out, because it has all been written for our benefit, for our our teaching, and so long as you are understanding the purpose for which it is, is in place then I think it's still of of great benefit and it's an amazing book I mean it's it's outstandingly the most amazing book in the world and and the miraculous (coughs) kind of connection of you have authors in different countries in different times who are speaking accurately about the same event of the cross I mean it's an absolute miracle so the first type okay uh, I want to talk about is in Exodus um, 12 and just a quick summary um, I'm sure you know the story but uh, Joseph went down to Egypt he prophesied about the famines he was made ruler in Egypt there was famine in the rest of the land so uh, eventually his father and brothers were reconciled with him and 70 of them came out of Israel and came to Egypt and that group of people began to prosper within Egypt and they had their own land uh, which was Gershon I think and they prospered, they grew their flocks, they multiplied. But over the time, the pharaoh changed. And eventually, the, this group of Israelites in Egypt were 
incredibly powerful, incredibly blessed, and the Pharaoh wanted to get rid of them. You all know the story. Uh, Moses was risen up as a deliverer, and uh, he went to Pharaoh ten times and said, let my people go, and each time there was a plague. And um, interestingly, uh, this is a sideline, but those plagues were all judgments on the Egyptian gods. So each one was about one of the gods of Egypt, uh, even down to the killing of the the killing of the firstborn, and the firstborn was worshipped in Egypt. So frogs were worshipped, and uh, all of this stuff. If you look at it, it's really interesting what God was actually doing. So He was just um, demonstrating to the Egyptians that He was God, and not all of their other their other gods. So, um, so Moses got to the point where he was. Um, taking the people out of Israel, out of Egypt. And God said to him, before you go, you have to do this thing. And this thing was called the Passover. Have you heard about the Passover? The Jews will still celebrate it in these days. Around about Easter time. They have a different calendar, but... uh, So... Okay, Exodus 12 is about the Passover. So, he says to them, uh, on this night, I'm go- the, the firstborn of Egypt is going to be killed, okay? And he was saying, uh, this is what you should do. Okay, in verse 43, it says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover, okay? And, where are we? Sorry, I'm on the wrong page go back a bit okay Passover 12 now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt saying this month shall be your beginning of months so he started the calendar at this point and said this is the beginning of your time Uh, and it shall be the first month of the year to you speak to the congregation of Israel and say on the 10th of this month every man shall take a lamb according to the house of his father a lamb for a household so they were to take a lamb um, if they were too small in the family, they were to combine with the next family and have one lamb for people. And this lamb had to be perfect. Okay, so it was a perfect lamb without blemish. Okay, um, and then they were to keep it tied up or whatever for two for four days. And then it says the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the door, the two doorposts. So they killed this animal, they took the blood, Exodus 12, and they put it on the door. And it said, then it says, verse 8, Then they shall eat the flesh on that night, roasted in the fire. So they killed the lamb, they took the blood, they put it on the door, and then they ate the lamb. Okay, And there was this they had to eat it with herbs and they had to roast it okay and they had to eat it all so they couldn't leave anything behind and they were to eat it ready to move and uh, the the deal was that the angel of God was going to pass through the land and strike the firstborn but the any house with the blood on it was would they would pass over that house so the firstborn would be protected now the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are and when I see the blood I will pass over you and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you okay and then he 
said this is going to be a memorial feast. So you celebrate it every day on this, every year on this day, and um, it, it's to be a holy day. And then that that was followed with this fest, feast of unleavened bread. So, so um, they went out of Egypt, and they didn't take the yeast with them. They cleared out all the yeast. Okay. So that's what happened. Uh, they did this Passover and it's just really interesting isn't it because you're already getting the symbols you've got a lamb without blemish so a perfect lamb is sacrificed and there's two things that are important about that lamb and that is the blood and the flesh the meat so it's already it's already talking. We know we're, we're, we're after the cross. We know what it's talking about. They didn't know what it was talking about because they didn't. They were before the cross. But I mean, it's, this is a type of the crucifixion. It's a type of Jesus on the cross. So Jesus was the sacrificial lamb. He was perfect without sin. And there's something about Jesus on the cross that two things about Jesus on the cross that we always talk about. We celebrate it every, well, at least every week in church, if not every day depending on how many times you do it yourself. What is it? Communion, yeah, we call it communion, yeah. So so this is a type of the cross. So so God set up this feast, this, this time for the Israelites, and it was about their deliverance from Egypt. It was about them coming out of Egypt. And interestingly... Um, we we quite often remember the whole thing about the blood, but we forget about the fact that they ate the flesh. And we also eat of the flesh of Jesus. And that's what Jesus said, the time is coming when you will eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And the Jews were absolutely furious at him because he's saying, what is this man saying? He's saying we're going to eat his flesh. Does he say we're cannibals? That's against the law. But Jesus said that's what it's going to be. You you will eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, which is why on that last night he said, you know, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, uh, and drink, this is my blood which is shed for you. So he is the our Passover lamb. Now the interesting thing about this, and it's a little verse that you probably have not read or or kind of connected with this but in Psalm 105 if you think about it if you remember the story that the Israelites by that time were in slavery so they were under bondage Pharaoh was really angry at them so he'd taken away their provisions and they had to go and find their own straw to make the bricks so they were under bondage and it says it says God heard their cry and they were crying out to God for salvation and it said God heard their cry so these guys were slaves. They were badly treated. They were exhausted. They needed a an escape. And Psalm 105 is a, a psalm where um, it's recounting the history of Israel. So it talks about Joseph was sold as a slave. Talks about Israel coming into Egypt. Talks about Moses. Talks about the the um, plagues of Egypt. And then it says. Um, 36 it says he also destroyed all the firstborn in their land the first of all their strength so it's talking about that final judgment and then it says 37 he also brought them out with silver and gold and there was none feeble among his tribes and it's just really interesting that what happened after 
the children of Israel had done the Passover and came out, first of all, they took the silver and gold of the, their neighbors because God had said to them, ask the, ask the Egyptians for silver and gold. So they did. So they took the silver and gold. And then it says there was none feeble among them. And it's just really interesting. Why? Why would a whole group of slaves who had been in such bondage in Egypt that they were crying out for salvation, why would none of them be feeble? And none of them were feeble because there is something that happens when you eat of the flesh of the Passover lamb. There is something about healing that comes from eating the flesh of the Passover lamb. And um, if you go to 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7, This is one of those bit of strange mixed kind of verses. So it is talking about how do you deal with somebody who is perpetually sinning in the church and won't um, won't acknowledge that that's what's happening. And in verse seven it says, "Therefore, purge out the old leaven." And leaven often is referred to refers to sin. Okay, in this context, that you may be a new lump since you truly are unleavened. So what he's saying is you really are unsinful. Um, But if somebody is persisting on sinning and doesn't want to acknowledge that and doesn't want to do anything about it, um, then it's saying you need to um, deal with that, and this is talking about how you deal with it. And then it says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So the reason I'm putting this scripture is not so that you can think about how to deal with sin in the church but it's this is the scripture that tells us that Passover is a type of Christ because it's saying that Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us so whatever happened at the Passover whatever purpose for that when Christ died on the cross he became our Passover lamb which is all about deliverance it's all about deliverance from the from death and it's also about healing it's also about the fact that his flesh and his body that that flesh of the lamb has a power and um, so that is what uh, that is referring to on 1 Peter 1 19 bit, bit earlier 18 says knowing so this is what we know that we were not redeemed with corruptible things so redeemed means to buy something so we were bought at a price so our salvation cost something okay and what was the cost of our salvation what what was um, yeah what was the cost so it says we were not redeemed with corruptible things so so it didn't cost silver and it didn't cost gold so we were not redeemed by silver and gold from our aimless conduct received by the tradition of your father but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot 
He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifested in these last times for you. So what it's saying is, it's just saying again that this whole type in the Old Testament of having a perfect, spotless lamb is, is talking about Jesus. And it says, although that was the plan from the beginning, God's plan from the very beginning, from the foundation of the world, so not even from Adam's sin, but from before then, God, this was God's primary plan, um, it wasn't revealed until Christ came. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the Passover and the type of the Passover was not fully revealed until Christ came. And now Christ has come, the revelation is full. And that full revelation includes healing. Okay? I know it's you have to listen to the whole thing because it sounds a bit vague at the moment, but keep with me. The Old Testament talks a lot of types of the cross. And, uh, uh, you know, later on we'll talk about what happened at the cross, what happened as a result of Jesus, our Passover lamb, dying. And um, just to complete, and then I guess we'll finish. Um, just really interesting. I love this little passage. It's in two Chronicles. And Chronicles is one of those books of the, the history of the Israelites and by that time the Israelites had been divided into the kingdom of Israel the northern ten tribes and Judah which was um, the southern tribes it was the tribe of Judah and Benjamin I think and um, so these are basically historical accounts it's not Phil was saying if you remember it's not accurate history because the Jews didn't write to record exactly accurate history so if they used a figure, say the number of soldiers was, they might have been using a pictorial language to tell you something deeper about that. Okay, so it's not, it's not. Um, these are those the history books that were written to make accounts of the history of the kings of Israel and Judah. So two Chronicles thirty is about Hezekiah, and uh, if you read through any of the these books, it's fascinating reading. Okay. Good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings, bad kings, bad kings. If it was Israel, it's usually bad kings. If it's Judah, good kings, bad kings. And basically, the good kings brought the people back to God and to his law. The bad kings did whatever they wanted and led people away from God and into sin. But Hezekiah was a good king. And uh, one of the things that Hezekiah did was um, he kind of restored the worship in the temple. So in chapter 29, it talks about um, that the temple had just become full of rubbish. They were not actually using the temple to worship God. So you can read it yourself. Um, so he, 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 what, he cleansed the temple. He, he uh, threw out all the rubbish and he reinstituted worship in the temple. Um, so they started to worship again. They started to sacrifice uh, and make their offerings. Okay. So that's all in uh, 2 Chronicles 29. And then it says, um, verse 30, uh, chapter 30, sorry. It says, And Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. So he said, look, we have never done the Passover, or we haven't done it, for it came to his attention that God had said to do it, and they hadn't done it. So um, they all agreed that they would keep the Passover, but they did it in the second month. And we already know Passover is supposed to be in the first month, but 
by this time it was the second month and the reason was they couldn't keep it at the regular time because not enough priests had the priests weren't being priests so they weren't cleansed and you know they had to find where the priests were and bring them back and get them ready to be priests so they did the best they could okay they really they did the best they could and in nine it says if you return to the lord your brethren and your children will be treated with compassion by those who lead them captive so they may come back to this land for the lord your god is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him so he sent out people to go and gather the people to come back to worship in jerusalem at uh, the temple so they did all the stuff they got rid of all the other altars 15 verse 15 they slaughtered the passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month the priests and the levites were ashamed and sanctified themselves and brought the burnt offerings to the house of the lord and they stood in place and there were many who hadn't sanctified themselves Therefore the Levites had charge of the slaughter, verse 17, of the Passover lambs for everyone who was not clean to sanctify them to the Lord. And a multitude of people had not cleansed themselves, but they ate the Passover contrary to what was written. So basically they celebrated the Passover as best they could, but they basically got it wrong. They did it in the wrong month. Not enough people were cleansed to do the stuff. And um, it says here, uh, 18 but Hezekiah prayed for them saying may the good Lord provide atonement for everyone atonement we'll talk about next time but atonement is about being made right with God so may God make everybody right with him who prepares his heart to seek God so Hezekiah was just praying look we've tried we really want you God we, 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 want, we know we've not done it right but will you have mercy on us and the lord god of his fathers though he is not cleansed according to the purification of the sanctuary he said and the lord listened to hezekiah and healed the people so it's just really interesting it's just another reference of the people taking the passover and doing the passover and the end result of that was god healed them doesn't say that they were i mean i'm just i i can criticize my own teaching okay um it doesn't say that all the diseases dropped off them. But what I'm saying is there is something about Passover. There is something about this event, this foretelling and the reality of the cross that includes healing. And um, th- that's just some of the, the scriptures that will uh, persuade you about the fact that um, Jesus being our Passover has to do with our healing. Okay, And there's more to come. That's just the first one. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.